you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as a journalist and exile to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word, because we know that your word has power. So we pray a lot as we're about to listen to you, Lord, as we're about to study and see what you have to say for us. I pray that this is not be an extra knowledge that we know, but I pray that everything that Peter wrote to the church might become a reality to us, that it becomes something alive in us, so that when we leave this place, we understand, Lord, what you call us to do, what you want us to do as the church, as the people, God, so that we can live throughout and we can bring glory to your name. Well, we praise you, Lord, for everything that you've done in our life uh, for the past month, Lord, for the whole January 2018, Lord. And while we believe, Lord, that you who begin the good work in us will continue to the end, that you'll be faithful in February, that you'll be faithful in March, you'll be faithful in April to December, to 2019, to 2020, 2030, 40, 50. We know that you will continue to be faithful. So help us, Lord, to know our role in your story because we want to know, Lord, who we are in you that we may be able to bring glory to your name. So help us. And we ask this in your name alone. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Okay. I was going to title the sermon for today, The Church. Okay. I was going to title it The Church. Like saying like, you know, what is the church? What is the church? What is it supposed to do as a church? But then I thought this. Um, if you do not know, starting um, this month, starting this year actually, all our English sermons are going to be on podcasts. So I thought if the title of the sermon is The Church, and people look at it like, who wants to listen to the sermon on the church on Tuesday morning? The answer is no one except pastors. So I'm going to change the title. I'm going to change the title from the church. I change it to this, The Bride of Christ. The Bride of Christ. At least now I get the female's attention, right? Oh, I'm a bride of Christ. That's sweet. And all the guys are like, I'm not bride. I'm a groom. Let's do a sermon on the groom of Christ. The problem with that is... Um, that thing does not exist in the Bible. You will not find the groom of Christ in the Bible. You only find the bride of Christ. But I think the Bible is fair because the Bible calls all the ladies what? Sons of God, correct? All the ladies have to start with the title sons of God. So guys, you have to be able to be comfortable. We call it the bride of Christ. So today I want to talk about the bride of Christ. Basically, the idea is this. What is the church? What is the purpose of the church? What is the method of the church, and how do we accomplish it? And what's the power of the church? So we're basically talking about identity. That's the question of, that we ask about identity, right? When we talk about identity, we ask the question, who am I? What am I here for? What is my purpose? How do I accomplish my purpose? Correct? So when we talk about the church today, I want to talk to you about the identity of the church. What is the church? One of the hardest questions in life, I don't know if you ever, anyone ever asked you this, but have you ever have to write about yourself to someone else? Have you ever have to do that? Like you have to tell someone something about you? Because I'm a preacher, sometimes whenever I travel, people ask me to write a short biography on myself. You know, they want to introduce me in a nice way. So they ask the question, who are you? And I'm confused. How am I supposed to answer that question? Who am I? And I usually answer the question this way. Well, I'm the product of union between Samuel and Lydia Yusuf, right? I don't know what else to say. Uh, I graduated from Dallas Baptist University with a Bachelor of Arts. And now I'm pursuing, what, Master of Divinity in Malling College. And I say, what, 
I'm an international pastor at Rock Sydney Church. What else must I say? I'm single, you know. I'm 32, and I authored 10 bestseller Christian book, but all of them still in my head today, and things like that. Like we, when whenever we have to introduce ourselves, the funny thing about introducing ourselves, we often equate who we are with what we do. Correct. A lot of the when we have to introduce ourselves, we say, "Okay, this is what I do." But the question does not ask you, what do you do? The question asks you, who are you, who you are? And I think one of the most fundamental mistakes in describing who you are is we often equate who we are with what we do. And if we do that, if we're not careful, we'll experience identity crisis. Let me give you an example. How many many of you, you guys use Kindle Reader? Anyone? Kindle? Any Kindle user? Not even a single person? Really? Wow. Okay. If you do not know what Kindle, you know what you guys know what Kindle is, right? Kindle is this tool that you use to uh, read ebook, electronic book, correct? Okay, none of you use Kindle, no problem. How many of you guys use iPad? iPad, iPad, couple of you. One, two, three, awesome. Now, if you use iPad, then you know there's uh, this app in iPad called Kindle, correct? Correct. What does that app allow you to do? That app allow you to read electronic books, correct? So. In some way, iPad can function as a Kindle reader. Now, can I call an iPad a Kindle? Why not? Because we know, one, first, first, iPad costs so much more than a Kindle, right? It's not fair. Like, okay, if I believe, hey, Kindle, how are you? That's not fair. He will say, I'm not a Kindle. I'm an iPad. I cost 10 times more. And, and, and in fact, if you know anything about iPad, iPad can do pretty much anything you want it to do. I'm pretty sure in the near future, you can tell you have apps for iPad that say, you know, iPad, I want a coffee, and they make coffee for you. You know, there's just everything. You can do pretty much anything with you, what you want with the right apps using iPad, but you cannot do it with Kindle. You can only read electronic books using Kindle. But then we know that iPad can also read an electronic book. The function is similar, but the identity is different. An iPad is... An iPad, a Kindle is a Kindle. They're not the same. They're different. Now, when we talk about the church, if I ask you, what is the identity of the church? What is the church? One of the most uh, popular answers would be this. Well, the church is a place where I love to sing and worship to God. Hey, you hear that, right? Church is a place where I like to sing and praise and sing worship to the Lord. Awesome. All right? You want to have a great praise and worship team in the church? Of course. I mean, that would be weird. Imagine, imagine. If the music were play, playing in key of B and you're playing in key of F, okay? Imagine that. That would be like what? The music in B, the voice in F. That would be horrible. No one will want to come to the church. So, yes, a church needs to have a good worship. Awesome. That's not the identity of the church. Another one. Uh, the church is where I listen to sermon. Correct. That is correct. One of the functions of the church is a place where you get to hear sermon. And you want to be sure that the sermon is good. I mean, you don't want to hear a sermon that sounds like a lecture all the time that makes you fall asleep consistently. That's not good. So you want to place a church, a place where you can listen to a good sermon, where you can engage with the sermon. That's correct. But let me tell you what's the difference. They are called the function of the church, but they're not the identity of the church. Can you tell the difference now? They're the function of the church, but they're not identity of the church. Because the church is something else. Yes, they function as a place of worship. Yes, they function as a place where you get to hear the Word of God, but that's not the identity of the church. So tonight, I want to speak to you 
about the identity of the church, okay? So we're going to use the scripture that we just read to find out what is the church. And when I talk about the church, I'm not specifically talking about Rock Sydney or Rocket International, but I'm actually talking about all of us because the Bible said that we are the church. I am the church. You are the church. All of us together as a believer, the Bible calls us the church. So when we talk about the identity of the church, I'm also talking about your identity. You with me? Okay, we're going to talk about four things, okay? First, we're going to talk about the identity of the church. Then we're going to talk about the purpose of the church, the method of the church, and the power of the church. The identity of the church, the purpose of the church, the method of the church, and the power of the church. First one, the identity. First Peter 2, verse 9 says this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, let me give you the context. First Peter is written by Apostle Peter to a group of churches that scattered uh, in the Roman Empire. So what happened, if you, if you know your history, what happened in the, early Roman, in the early days of the church is they get persecuted all the time. So the government hate them, the people hate them, they, they all want to kill them. So now Peter writing a letter to this church, reminding them, let me remind you who you are in Christ. Because if you remember who you are in Christ, then you'll be good. And he used these phrases like a chosen race, a royal priesthood, holy nation, that sounds familiar to them. Because why? Because this is something that he grabbed from Exodus chapter 19. Okay, this is what Exodus chapter 19 said. This is what Moses said. You yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptian and how I bore you on eagle's wing and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now, get this right. This is what happened. So Moses after he took Israel out of Egypt, after all the beautiful, you know, ten plagues, if you watch Prince of Egypt, after all the ten plagues, after they crossed the Red Sea, after they, all that miracles, they ended up with this mountain called Mount Horeb, where God revealed his heart to the Israel. And this is what God said, Israel, I save you from Egypt. I deliver you from slavery of Egypt. I did this. You didn't do anything. You didn't contribute anything. I did all of it. I did all the miracles. And now I bring you to myself. I carry you on my shoulder. And now because of that, Israel, from this moment, you and I have this special relationship now that no other nation has. You are my people. I am your God. You are mine and I am yours. And because of it, now I'm giving you a new identity, a new set of rules that you need to obey. You following me? So what God said, God doesn't say this, Israel, obey me, then I will save you. That's not the way. That's not the order. The order is what? God save, and then God say, obey me. Tracking? God saved Israel, and then God said, obey me. And in the same way, this is what Peter said. Remember, church, you do nothing to contribute to your salvation. The fact that you are saved is because Christ saved you by His grace alone. He died for you. He redeemed you with His blood. He paid the price for you with His blood. And because of it, today you are free from sin. And because of it, now you are into a new relationship with God the Father. You have a new set of identity that is true about you that you do not have before. Tracking with me? 
And now that identity has forking, okay? The first thing that Peter says is, you are a what? A chosen race. A chosen race. So the first thing that we need to know is this, you are a chosen race. Now, I love Indonesian, okay? I'm Indonesian. I'm partly Chinese, and it's hard to believe. My ass is Chinese. I have squinty eyes, and I'm Asian. All of us here are Asian, correct? There, is there non-Asian here? No. All of us are Asian. But this is what I love about the Bible, though. The Bible says this. When God chose you, He does not choose a single race. He does not choose Asian race, even though Asians are cool. But what the Bible seems to say is God is choosing a new kind of race, a chosen race. That means a race that made up out of different kind of people. There'll be black people, there'll be white people, there'll be yellow people, there'll be what else left? Brown people. So people from different race come together and they will be called the chosen race. Are you with me? And so the question now is this, what makes them chosen? What makes them chosen? What is the reason for God choosing a new race? When I was in um, elementary school, I mean, if you guys been to my house, then you will know. The first thing that you came, that you see when you enter my house is this beautiful picture of me when I was 9 or 10 years old, right? You saw it. You cannot miss it. I mean... It's impossible to miss. The moment you enter my house, you will see this beautiful, gorgeous, fat, chubby boy. Right? People's first impression of me is like this. Cholun, ndut, chubby, nerd, boboho, and you guys give me a new one. The epic finger, right? You guys give me it. Before that, no one actually noticed about the finger until you guys come to my house and everybody talk about the fingers. I'm like, what is wrong with the fingers? Everybody talk about the fingers. But what you do not know about that is this. There's a story behind the picture. I mean, you do not know the suffering that I have to go through because of that. You know, back in the days, every time, every time we play sport, every time we play sport, there's always this group of players that we call the invisible players. Invisible with S, not C, yeah? Invisible players. Why are they invisible? Because it does not matter whether they're in the team or not. It does not make any difference. Correct? I am one of them. So whenever we play sport, I was always, always chosen last. Why? Because whether they have me in the team or not, it does not make any difference. Why? Because I was that chubby. I was that fat boy. So now, that's the reason why in Rock Youth Sports Day, you don't get to choose your own team. I don't want anyone to experience that feeling. I get to choose the team for you. All right? But the thing about it, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, a lot of time we think that's the way God chose. God likes to choose those who God prefer. Because why? Because maybe they're more awesome, they're better, they're more gifted, they contribute more to the purpose of God. And we assume that the reason God chose us is because we have something to contribute to God. And that's the way our, the world that we live think. We live in a world called evolution, the survival of the fetus. That means this. If you're chosen, that means you have something in you. you have, you're more capable than other people. But that's furthest from the truth because this is what God said, okay? This is what God said when He chose Israel in Deuteronomy 7, verse 7 to 8. This is the reason that God chose Israel. He says this. It was not because you were more numbers than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you. 
For you were the fewest of all people. But it is what? Because what? Because what? The Lord what? Love you. But it is because, because the Lord loved you and is keeping the oath he swore to them. He swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out of a white mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So basically, this is what Moses say. God's standards of choosing has nothing to do with your merit. None. God's standard of choosing simply has one reason. Because he loves you. Tracking? So that's the way God chose. So when we ask, how, why did God choose me? The reason is I have no clue. I have no idea. All that I know is God loved me. That's why he chose me. That's the first identity. The second identity that we're told is this. We're not only a chosen race. The second identity that we call is we are a royal priesthood. Now, so one of the blessings of the gospel, once God saved you, is this you're adopted into his family. That means what? You become a royalty. That's what it means. You become a royalty. That means you are co-heirs with Christ. You become part of royalty. But you are not only a royalty. The Bible also said that you are a priest. You, you are a priest. What does a priest do? A priest is someone who spent all of their life in the presence of God. So what is a royal priesthood? A royal priesthood is a co-heir with Christ, sons and daughter of God who spend their life ministering in the presence of the Lord. Does that mean all of us should plow our ministry full-time? No. You do. Please don't do that. But what it means is this. No matter what you do, no matter what you do, no matter where you are, you're living your life consistently in the presence of of the Lord. That's what it means to be a royal priesthood. That you, every, no matter what you do, everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that you act, you do it in the presence of the Lord. The word that we know today is this, worship. Worship is not a song that you sing. Worship is living your life consistently in the presence of the Lord. Okay, that's the second identity that you have. So church, the church is not only a chosen race, but the church is also a royal priesthood. And the third thing that the Bible says is, you are a holy nation. The word holy nation, the word holy means is separate, distinct. So what God is saying is this, I'm creating a new nation that is different from every other nation in the world. Now, let's go back to the first uh, imagery that I used. One of my dreams is one day I want to see a church that consists of people from different races together worshiping Jesus. Imagine that. Imagine that people from different races come together and worship God, worship Jesus as their Savior. That would be a beautiful scene. So that means this. That means if people have different races come together, we will have people from different nations. We have Australian. We have Mexican. We have Indonesian, we have African, we have all other un, okay? All the other uh, come together. But this is what God not, did not say. God did not say this. Okay, all you other un come together. Look at, check out the Indonesian. You know, they're so cool. They're so amazing. I know their country is uh, tainted with many corruption, but they're pretty much the best of all other un. So I'm going to make all the other nations look like Indonesian. That is not what God is doing. 
Because what God is doing here is God is creating a whole new nation that is very different from any other nation in the world. That's why it's called holy, set apart, this thing. So God is not, I, God is not what do you call it, um, elevating Indonesian to become the best nation out of all nations. But God is saying, I'm creating a new holy nation. What does it mean for us? A couple of things. First of all, it means this, that we have our brothers and sisters from every, every tribes and tongue. Every tribes and tongue, we have brothers and sisters. So this is what it means. It means this, the Australian church in the hill that love to sing song. You get it there, right? The Australian church in the hill that love to sing song. They're not, they're not our competitors. They're our countrymen. They are our countrymen because God is shaping them, turning them into a holy nation as much as He's turning us into a holy nation. And this is what it means also. It means that other Indonesian churches in the Sydney, there are countless of them, they're not a rifle. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ because God is shaping us into one family, into one nation that is different from every other nation. And that means this, that means this, that you and I, because of this, Pastor Achan said a lot, because God is shaping us into a different family, a different nation, that means this, you and I have a lot more in common with our African brothers and sisters in Christ than our Indonesian family who are not in Christ. We have a lot more in common with our African brothers and sisters in Christ than we do with our own family, Indonesian family, who are not in Christ. Why? Because God is shaping us into a whole new, set apart, different kind of nation called the Holy Nation. And the fourth one, my favorite one. God is not only shaping the church to be His holy nation. God is shaping the church to be God's own possession. The language that the Exodus uses even, even clearer. The Bible, the Exodus does not use the word possession, but the Exodus uses the word this treasure, that you are God's treasure. Now, what is a treasure? This is not a tricky question. What is a treasure? A treasure is something that you cherish with your life, correct? A treasure is something that if, if your house is on fire, this will be the first thing that you seek and try to protect, correct? That's a treasure, Treasure is something that you will protect at the cost of your life. That is your treasure. So now when I think about it, I try to think, what is my treasure? Okay? And I try to think, is it my suit? Is it my book? Is it my one-piece collection? And the answer is, I do not know. Two possibilities. The first possibility is this. Because I love Jesus so much that I don't care about anything else. Or the second possibility. I have too many treasures I can't choose. I'll let you decide which one am I, okay? But the idea of treasure is this. Treasure is something that you'll protect with your life. Now listen, this is what God said. And we agree that God owns every single thing in the universe, from the smallest to the biggest. He owns it all. So this is what God's saying. I own the universe. I own the solar system. I own the Milky Way. I own every beaches on earth. I own the sun and moon. I own Mars, Pluto, 
and all the other planets that I can't remember. I own everything that exists in the universe, but none of it are my treasure. But you are my treasure. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the God of the universe is that we, we are his treasure possession? If we believe that, imagine this for a second. If we believe that we are God's treasure, what happens when life hits us in the face? We are God's treasure. What happens if we get sick? We are God's treasure. What happens if we get bankrupt? We are God's treasure. What happens if we are heartbroken? We are God's treasure. It means so what? It does not matter. That's why Paul said, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Because if we know that we are God's treasure, we, that means this, no matter what we experience in life, no matter what we go through for the, first, for the 70 years of our life, it will be good and beautiful in the light of eternity. Because God is, God says, we are His treasure. Follow me? So that's our identity. Simple. We are God's chosen race. We are God's royal priesthood. We are God's holy nation. And we are God's own possession. Following? That's the identity. Now the question is this. Now that we have our identity, what is our purpose as a church? What is our purpose as a church? And let's read first with King in verse 9. This is what the Bible says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who call you out of darkness into marvelous light. Now, let me be clear on this one, okay? There are many things that the church can do, many things. Like I said earlier, one of the functions of the church is to be a good place of worship. One of the functions of the, uh, the church is to be a place where we can listen to the word of God. And there are many people that argue, well, the main purpose of the church is to be involved in politics, no problem. Go. Be involved in politics. There's some, no, no. It's about social justice. It's about caring for the poor. It's about uh, creating orphanages. No problem. Do all of that. And some of them, no, no, no. It's to affect the economy, to, to change the economy of the world. No problem. Do all of that. But according to Peter, that is not the purpose of the church. Do you know what's the purpose of the church? Simple this. To proclaim the excellencies of him who call us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you know what it means? Simple this. The primary, primary purpose of the church is simply to share the gospel, to proclaim the gospel. I know this is very simple, but a lot of time we make it sound so much harder than it is. Koyos, I don't know how to share the gospel. What if people ask me, can you prove the existence of God? That is not what we're called to do. We're not called to prove the existence of God. Leave it to Edric and Ellis. You know, they're going to preach in a couple of weeks. Ask them, how can we prove that God exists? Let them answer us. But you and I, as the church, we're not called to do that. You know what we're called to do? Simple. We're called to tell the people that we were once in darkness, but someone called us out of that darkness. That means this. You know what? The one time that I live in hopelessness, there one time that I lived without hope, that I lived in a dark place, that I thought life was meaningless, life was without purpose. But then 
Jesus came and rescued me. But then Jesus came and reached out to me. But then Jesus came and changed my heart. And he took me out of darkness. He brought me into his marvelous light. And now I'm living in his light. And all I can say is simple this. Jesus is beautiful. His excellency is proven to be true. I experience this. That's all I know. And that's our message. How hard is that? It's not hard, right? I mean, it's natural to talk about the things that you love. It's natural. Let me prove it to you. I want you to answer me without thinking. I'm going to ask you a question. Answer me straight away. Okay? Deal? What is my favorite food? What is my favorite sport team? What is my favorite collection? My question, how do you know all that? Instagram, because I talk about it all the time. I mention it to you. Every time, every single week, even now, we're still talking about that. Right? Why? Because I love it. It is natural for you to talk about the things that you love. And what Peter says is, I want you to proclaim what you love. It's as simple as that. And whenever you proclaim what you love, there's always a sense of wonder in it. There's always a sense of wonder. I talk about soccer all the time, all the time. But there's a difference in the way I talk about Liverpool and the way I talk about Manchester United. You can hear from my tone. You can sense it. There's a wonder when I talk about Manchester United. Even if they just barely won the game, I'll make it sound like they win the league. Why? Because I love Manchester United. If Liverpool win, who cares? Right? You can sense a wonder in my wording, the way I speak. And this is what Peter says. The church has been entrusted with a single message, a wonderful message, the message of the excellency of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And that's what we are called to do. Proclaim the gospel. It's not hard. It's natural. And the third thing, but how we should do it, how we do it, the method. What is the method of the church? Verse 11 and 12, what the Bible says. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passion of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The key word here, the key word is this word, sojourners and exile. Okay? The Greek word for this is this. The Greek word is called parapedimos. Can you repeat that? Parapedimos. Parapedimos. Now, I will explain to you what parapedimos is. You know it. You know it very well. You might not know the word parapedimos, but you know parapedimos very well. Why? Let me ask you. How many of you in here have Australian permanent registration? PR. Australian PR. Okay? Most of you. Those of you who raise your hand, you are parapedimos. Why? Let me tell you why. Because you live in Australia. You work in Australia. You speak Australian language, I hope, English, right? You earn in dollar, I hope, again. You have Australian friend. You eat Australian food. You live in the land of Australia. But, your citizenship is not Australia. Where is your citizenship? In New 
That's what it means to be parapedimos. It means this. Yes, right now, you're living in this place called Earth. Yes, right now, you are part of this country called Australia. But your allegiance, your citizenship is not in Australia. Your allegiance and citizenship belongs to somewhere else. And if you're Christian today, if you're part of the church, your citizenship is called kingdom of heaven. Therefore, therefore, even though we abide to the law of the kingdom of this world, even though we live in this world, but we are not part of this world, we have one foot in this kingdom, we have another foot in that kingdom. Yes, we are resident of Australia, but we are citizen of Indonesia. So that, this is what it means. If the two countries go to war, who has your allegiance? Indonesia, if you're PR. So that means you go back to Indonesia. Goodbye, Australia. That's what it means to be parapedimos. It means this. This place is not your home. The world that we live in today is not our home. Our citizenship is not Australian or Indonesian. Our citizenship is the kingdom of heaven. It means two things. The first thing. It means this thing. If you are parapedimos, it means the first thing. You will never, never feel fully satisfied at this, at this moment. You will never, never feel fully satisfied at this world. Let me give you an example. How many of you ever go on a holiday for more than three weeks? Anyone? A long holiday, three or four weeks of holiday. Okay? If you've been to holiday for three or four weeks, then you know what I mean. It does not matter how great your holiday was. It does not matter how nice the hotel that you stay in. Nothing compared to the feeling of your own bed. Correct? It doesn't matter. If it's, it, you can stay in a six-star hotel and stay in the biggest bed that they have. But nothing compares to the feeling, the sensation of your own bed. Correct? There's something about your own bed. I don't know, maybe it's your saliva combined with all your drools that become a you know, flavor, a fragrance that just attracted you. That after you've been away for some time, you feel like, I miss home. Even though my whole days feel like you know, eating bigul every day, swimming, reading, eating, swimming, reading, eating, swimming, eating, reading, eventually I get sick. Eventually I feel like, well, something's not right here. I need to go home. This is not my home. This is what it meant to be parapedimos. Does not matter how nice, does not matter how awesome this world is, you will never ever feel fully satisfied. That's the first thing. But the second thing is this. You will never ever fit in in this world. Okay? Peter put it this way. Abstain from the passion of the flesh and keep your conduct honorable with your good deeds. Timothy Keller put it this way. I love the way Timothy Keller put it this way. That means, church, if you're a Christian, two things true about you at the same time. First, you will continue to offend people around you. But at the same time, second, you will continue to attract people around you. Offensive, but attractive. Let me explain. Because the, our value is not of this world. Because our allegiance is not of this world. Therefore, there are many things that this world 
believe in that this will affirm that we cannot affirm. Why? Because our allegiance to the kingdom of heaven and our rule book is this book, correct? Our rule book is this book, the Bible. This tells us what is right and what is wrong. So, no matter how you put it, people around you will continue to be offended at what you believe. The easiest example, LGBT. The people around us said, okay, now the world is evolving. Now the world is changing. So we need to accept LGBT. But then we know the Bible said what? That the Bible said God hates the act of homosexual. God hates the sins of homosexual. So when the two values contrast, when the two values don't go together, which one do we go? Do we trust the world value or we trust the Bible? Of course we trust the Bible. And you know what happens when you trust the Bible? People will mock you. People will make fun of you. People will find you offensive. How can you not be open-minded? How can you be so, so narrow-minded? They will mock you. They will talk bad about you. They will persecute you. They will do anything to make you feel bad. And that's a given because our values are different from their value. But if all you do is offend people, you're not a Christian. You're a jerk. Because Christians are not only offensive, but Christian at the same time is attractive. Okay? This is the way Peter put it this way. Keep your conduct honorable so that, that when you, they see your good deeds, they glorify your God. So, this is what I mean. Even though people around you find you offensive, even though they mock you, even though they persecute you, even though they talk bad about you, even though they swear at you, yet at the same time, they cannot deny there's something attractive about you. They treat you really bad and you take them out to eat. They curse at you and you laugh at them, smile at them, and pray over them. You, they, they just try to make sure you never get promoted. You continue to do your best at work. And when you do that, what happens is this. They might not agree with your value, but they'll say, I can't help but find them attractive. And when that happens, and they will, uh, they will eventually ask, why are you so different? Why are you like this? How can you be so different? How can people around you put you down, yet you continue to love them? And you will only say, let me tell you about the gospel. Let me tell you about Christ. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you about what he, he has done. Let me tell you about someone who took me out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let me share with you the gospel. That's the method of the church. Tracking? So that's how we should live, that's how we should live as a Christian, that we are offensive, yet we are attractive. Not one over the other. If you're, if you're just offensive, you're a jerk. But if you're just attractive, then you might not be a Christian. If people around you never speak against what you believe, then you maybe, maybe, maybe you do not believe the Bible. Just maybe, just saying. But then the last thing is this. How do we find power to be offensive but attractive? Because this is hard. To be offensive but attractive requires a lot of hard work, requires us to make a lot of sacrifice. How do we find the power to be church? It lies in verse 10. This is what Peter said. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
What Peter is doing, this is brilliant. What Peter is doing, he's actually quoting from Old Testament. Anyone want to guess which book he's quoting from? He quote from the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 2, verse 23. Just a quick question. Anyone ever read the book of Hosea? Anyone? If you've read the book of Hosea, I mean, if you've never read it, go home tonight, just read the first three chapters, okay? Just the first three chapters. Go home and read it. It is the most bizarre story in the Bible, but at the same time, it's extremely beautiful. Let me explain to you. The key lies in what happened with Hosea. So one day, God came to Hosea. Hosea, I want you to get married. And Hosea like, cool, no worries, I'll get married. Which one, Lord? There's two ladies there, one with a modest dress and one with sexy dress. Which one do you want me to marry? And God say, which one? The one with sexy dress. And then Hosea goes, wait a minute, God. I'm a prophet. If I, mar- if I marry you with a girl with a sexy dress, people might get offended. People might think I'm crazy. But God said, nope, I want you to marry the one with sexy dress. And Hosea probably smiling. Yeah. But Hosea, you have to know, eventually she'll cheat on you and she'll leave you for other men. So the story goes, Hosea, okay, no problem. I'll marry her. So Hosea married this woman by the name of Gomer. So they get married, and then a couple of years into marriage, what happened is this, Gomer cheated on Hosea. So Gomer began to sleep with other people. Gomer began to sleep with other men. And eventually, Gomer gave birth to a couple of children. And what's funny about the children is this, they're not Hosea, they're other men. And God clearly told Hosea, this, Hosea, I want you to name your children Lo-Ami, which means not mine. Can you imagine that? So every time you meet your son, hey, not mine, come here. It's weird, but that's what God is saying. I want you to name your children Lo-Ami, which are not my people. That's not mine. This is not mine. So Hosea did. Hosea named his, one of his children Lo-Ami, which means not my people. So the story goes, eventually, after a while, Gomer left Hosea altogether. Gomer began to sleep with other men. Gomer began to live in a prostitution. Gomer began to give her life to other men. He moved from one arms, from one man to another man, to another man, another man, until eventually she became a slave. This is what I love about the story of Hosea. Do you know why God does this? Do you know why God told Hosea to marry Gomer? Do you know why God told Hosea to name his son Loami, not my people? Because this is not Hosea's story. Through Hosea's life, God is trying to show us this is what happened between you and me. God loved us. God loved his bride. God loved the church. But the church betrayed God. The church cheated on God. The church slept with other men and left God. And finally, God just said, I'm tired of you. I'm sick of you. I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. From now on, you're no longer my people. From now on, you're low army. We don't have any relationship anymore. I divorce you, Israel. God actually used the word divorce. I divorce you, Israel. I don't want to have anything to do with you. You cheated on me. I'm tired of you. I'm sick of you. Done. But then a few years later, God came back to Hosea. Okay, by this time, Gomer already, already become a slave. 
Gomer already lost all her beauty. She pretty much has no value. She's like probably wrinkly and has no beauty whatsoever. She became a slave and she was uh, put as, uh, in an auction, slave auction. And then God came to Hosea and says this, Hosea, now I want you to buy her back. I want you to go, go to slave auction, buy her back, purchase her, make her yours, marry her again, and tell her that from now on, she's yours. Okay, this got to be the most bizarre commandment in the whole Bible. Anyone want to experience what Hosea experienced? I don't want to experience this. But God clearly tell Hosea, I want you to remarry Gomer. I want you to buy her. I want you to purchase her. I want you to make her yours. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that, Hosea 2.23, this is what God said. Before Hosea went and purchased Gomer back, this is what God said in Hosea 2.23. And I will have mercy or no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say what? You are my God. What is God trying to say? Simple. You and I are that woman who betrayed God. The church are Gomer who left God behind for other men. The church is Gomer who cheated on God with other men. And the church is that slave woman who has no value whatsoever. But then God says this, I will buy her back. I will purchase her back. No matter what the cost, I will make her mine again. And this is what happened with the story of Hosea. So Hosea went to the slave auction. Hosea looked at Gomer and said, I want her. But the problem is Hosea do not have enough money. Hosea only have part of the money. So Hosea says, you know what? I'm going to give you all my money, but I don't have the right amount of money. So I'm going to give you my possessions as well. I'm going to give you my wheat. I'm going to give you my grain. Everything that I have, I will give to you. Give me her. And this is exactly what God did to purchase his bride. The church, the church cheated on God, but God said, I will come and rescue you no matter what the cost. He sent his one only son, Jesus Christ, to die. So therefore, today, you and I are called the church, the bride of Christ. Why? Not because we are awesome. Not because we are beautiful. Simply because this. Because God loves his bride. The bride of Christ is purchased, is bought by the blood of the bridegroom. And that's why we're valuable. That's where we find the power to be church. That's how we can go out there and be offensive to other people and attractive at the same time because we know the love of our bridegroom. That's the power of the church. That's how we can be church. The mistake is this. We try to be church by doing church. You cannot. You cannot become church by doing church. You will more function. The only way you can be church and do church is to know that you are his bride, that you are the bride of Christ, purchased, bought by the blood of the bridegroom. 
That's your identity. If you know that's how much you work to God, if you know that's how much you work to the bridegroom, that he purchased you not with silver or gold, but he purchased you, he bought you with his own blood. If you know that, and if you understand that, then let me tell you, that's the power of the church. That's how we can be the church. Know, savor, taste the love of the bridegroom. As the power of the church. So my encouragement, after this, we're going to talk about how we're going to be the church in the, next, in the next coming years. But before that, remember, the identity of the church is not merited. The identity of the church is given by God. Why is church God's chosen people? Because they are chosen by God. We are royal priesthood because God turned us into a royal priesthood. We are holy nation because we are set apart by God and we are possessed by God. The church finds her identity in God. Without God, the church has no identity. But because of God, the church has identity and purpose. So now we can be, go out there and be sojourners and exile. Let's pray. Father, we praise you For we know, Lord, by our own strength, by our own ability, we cannot do it. By our own strength, by our own ability, we'll choose one over the other. But because of you, Jesus, we can be both offensive to people out there, but attractive at the same time. We can disagree with them, and we can love them at the same time. So I pray, Lord, that you help us to be the church that you want us to be. So I pray that you help us to be the church that proclaim that no, our identity, that our identity is not in something that we do, but identity is something that is true about us, even before we do a single thing, that we are loved by you, that you chose us because you love us, not because of something that we contribute to your kingdom. And when we find our identity in you, Lord, help us to know our purpose in life, that we are called to proclaim the gospel in our work, in our study, in our relationship, in whatever we do, that we are called to proclaim the excellencies of Him who call us out of darkness into His marvelous light. So help us, Lord, to be both offensive and attractive to everyone around us, that people will see that we are indeed different from them, but at the same time, we love them and we want them to join us together. And help us to remember always, Lord, that the power lies at the cross. The power lies in what you've done for us. We praise you, Jesus, what you've done in our life. And we give you praise. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.